Welcome back. We are glad that you have so much energy. It's wonderful to feel the community coming together again. We have a special series that we will be um, starting today. It is a series on what it means to be, in the words of Erwin Ince, author and pastor, what it means to be a beautiful community, the kind of people that delight Jesus and really image Him. One of the signal markers that Jesus declared would make us a beautiful community, in fact, probably the distinctive, is that we love one another as He has loved us. And that is what we want to think about, the various shades and implications and perspectives of what it means to love one another well. And so we're going to take the next few weeks to think together what it means to be this kind of beautiful Jesus' love, imaging, and expressing kind of community. Uh, this week, we have the great privilege of having Graham Hines be our preacher for uh, the first series in the sermon. And here now to read the scriptures for it is Scott. The reading for today is from Mark 10, verse 42 to 52. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Several years ago, I was given an interesting research assignment as part of my Master of Divinity at Wycliffe College. I was tasked with the job of visiting three different churches and checking out their worship service, and then writing a report about my experience at each church. You know, based on my observations, what does this community think about God? What do they think about... Let's see if that's any better. Let's, uh, what do they think about themselves and their role in God's mission? And one of the things I didn't anticipate at the time was that my experience as a person with a visible disability would influence the way that I experience those three different churches. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, you might not know this about me, but I am legally blind. I use a white cane to navigate around. I read Braille at the speed of a junior kindergartner. <laughs> and I use um, screen reading software to understand my phone and my tablet and so on. And so it's very obvious to people that I have this disability. So I went to the first church, and it was, you know, very standard church service. 
And when I was on my way out of the building, this couple grabbed me. I'd never met them before, and they said, we'd like to put our hands on your eyes and pray that God would heal you. This used to happen to me about every six to 12 months. Um, it would happen in churches or at conferences I was visiting. Uh, sometimes it would even happen while I was waiting for the bus. And so over time, I developed a response. <laughs> and I said to this couple, I said, you know, in the book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh. Now, scholars don't know exactly what this is, but some scholars do think this may have been a physical disability. It may have even been a visual disability. And Paul says that he prayed three times that God would take away this thorn, but God did not. And in the end, Paul said he understood that God was communicating to him, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made manifest in weakness. And so I said to this couple that I never met, I said, you know, I really identify with Paul. I have prayed that God would take this thorn away from me. In his wisdom, he has not done so. And so if you'd like to pray for me, I welcome that. Pray that God's power would be displayed through this disability. Now, frustratingly for me, that answer typically does not satisfy people. <laughs> and so they put their hands on my face, they started praying in tongues, and a few minutes later, I walked out of the church feeling very frustrated. I felt unheard and a little bit shaken. The second church that I visited was a wonderful experience. I walked through the door, and as soon as I entered, one of the greeters came up to me and said, Sir, could you benefit from the use of a large print bulletin? I was just so impressed by that, that this church had actually thought ahead and said, you know, there might be some folks that come that they find it a bit hard to read our regular bulletin. Why don't we take the time to print some extra ones that are 18-point font? It just, it felt like they were setting the table for folks like me. During the communion time, I was sitting in the pew, and a gentleman came over to me and said, um, would you like to take my arm, and we can walk together to the communion rail? I left that church feeling like it was a community where people had thought ahead about how to welcome people of all sorts of differing abilities. The third church that I visited was a bit more middle of the road. Um, no one tried to heal me. <laughs> Thank good. In fact, because of COVID, that is like one of the things I appreciate about COVID is no one puts their hands on my face anymore. <laughs> no one tried to heal me at this church. But at the same time, it didn't feel like they'd really done much thinking ahead about how to welcome people who had different levels of ability. I was able to find a pew okay, but I wasn't able to follow along with the bulletin. I could sing if I had the song memorized, but otherwise I, I couldn't track with it. And during coffee hour, I must admit, I felt pretty alone. I could, you know, tell that everyone around me was talking, but I felt kind of by myself. That last church was Grace Toronto. And so this morning, I'd love for us to consider what does it look like for us to be a gospel community? that extends love and welcoming doors to our neighbors that have disabilities. And I'd love for us to consider the story of Bartimaeus to see what insights the scripture might offer to us as we consider this question. So the story of Bartimaeus begins with Jesus and a large crowd of followers departing Jericho. 
Now, for pilgrims who were on their way to Jerusalem at the time, Jericho was your last stop for the final leg of your journey. You see, um, Jericho was only 30 kilometers to the northeast of Jerusalem. That seems really long for us, and it was a long and arduous road, but it was doable in a single day. So Jesus and this big group of followers, they're exiting through the gate of Jericho for the final leg of their journey, and they pass by a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. In those days, it was not uncommon to encounter beggars at the gates of the city. And oftentimes, they'd be people that had physical disabilities. See, the Old Testament gave God's people a number of laws which would ensure that they didn't abuse or mistreat the blind. But there wasn't the same kind of social support net as we have in Canada today. And so you have to imagine, in an agrarian society like ancient Israel, how challenging it would be for someone with a visual disability to have gainful employment. You know, we're 2,000 years removed from this story, and the situation is much better in Canada. But the fact is, it's still very difficult for people with disabilities to have gainful employment. In 2010, the United States did a study and found that 75% of visually impaired adults were unemployed. Now, the researchers admitted they didn't discriminate between seniors, students, and stay-at-home parents, which they should have done. And so they estimate that the number of blind adults who want to work but are unemployed sits between 30 and 50%. It's much higher than the general population. And so Bartimaeus is sitting at the gate of the city, and he's begging. And he hears that Jesus and this crowd of followers are passing by, and he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the text tells us that many in the crowd rebuked him to be silent. This actually isn't the first time that the disciples have rebuked people who wanted to come close to Jesus. In fact, this isn't even the first time in Mark chapter 10 that the disciples rebuke people who want to come close to Jesus. If you have your Bible open, if you have an app open, if you look near the very beginning of Mark chapter 10, you'll see there were people bringing their children to Jesus so that he might lay his hands on them and pray a blessing over them. And the disciples rebuked those people. In the ancient Near East, children, of course, they were valuable. People wanted children. But at the same time, they weren't very high on the social hierarchy. They certainly were not worthy of the time or attention of an important rabbi and prophet like Jesus. And if possible, blind beggars were even lower on the social hierarchy. The Pharisees, a group of religious leaders at the time, had a prayer that went, Thank you, Lord that I was not born a slave, a woman, or a blind man. Additionally, at that time, there was a lot of suspicion about people with blindness. Um, people were debating, you know, is this person blind as a consequence of God's anger against them? You know, surely they must have done some sin for God to punish them this way. Or maybe they didn't sin, but maybe their parents did. And so this is God's way of getting those parents back. And so when Bartimaeus cries out for Jesus to have mercy on him, the disciples react with indignation. Who does this guy think he is? He's not worthy of the time or attention of King Jesus. Also in Mark chapter 10, we see someone else who comes to Jesus with a very different experience. The rich young man. 
When the rich young man comes to see Jesus, no one stops him. He looks like an ideal recruit for the Jesus movement. He's going to bring power, legitimacy, and money. And so no one stops him. But blind Bartimaeus gets rebuked. Sadly, I think that even today, it can be difficult for people with disabilities to move from the periphery of church life to its center. I was talking some time ago with Betty McPhee. She's a longtime community member of Grace Toronto, and she has deep roots in the deaf community. Betty herself is a person that can hear, but she has relatives who are deaf, and she's a deaf teacher in the Toronto District School Board. And Betty was telling me the story about having a conversation with a community leader in the deaf community. And this gentleman said to her that he had given up on his Christian faith. He said he had grown tired of trying and trying and trying to participate in church life, only to be met by a church that wasn't meeting him halfway trying to make the gospel accessible in a way that he could understand, and so he'd finally given up. And as I think about it, I'm sad to say I've never met a deaf person at Grace Toronto. But perhaps that shouldn't be a surprise to me. Why would they come? How could they understand what I'm saying right now? I'm sad to say I've never had a young adult in Grace Toronto who had mobility issues, but Should I be surprised? Why would they come? We meet on the second floor. Grace Toronto, I want to challenge us. If we as a wealthy church in downtown Toronto can't be a community that breaks down the barriers that keeps the disabled community from coming to see Christ, who's going to do it? Is it going to be the church down the road with an operating budget of $100,000 a year? Let's be a community different from this crowd 2,000 years ago. Let's be a community that seeks to break down the barriers which would keep the disabled on the periphery of church life. And those barriers can exist in Sunday morning worship, they can exist in our small group, they can exist in our own hearts in terms of who we are interested in having relationships with. And so the disciples are rebuking Bartimaeus. But Jesus stops and says, call him. You see, Jesus didn't view Bartimaeus as someone who was unworthy of his time or his compassion. And we see that all throughout the ministry of Jesus, don't we? That it doesn't matter if someone is rich or poor, male or female, Jew or Gentile, able-bodied or not. Jesus has time and compassion for everyone. And let that be an encouragement to us this morning, regardless of where you stand in our society's social hierarchy, Jesus has compassion for you, whether you're a CEO or someone who's street involved. And Jesus cares about the burdens that you are carrying. So Jesus says, call him. And Bartimaeus comes, he moves from the periphery of the community to its very center, where he comes face to face with Jesus. And in the next moment, a miracle happens. And his blind eyes are open, and he can see. But at the same time, there's a miracle happening in the hearts of the disciples. You see, 
as they watch their king stoop down to serve a blind beggar, their eyes are being opened to what his ministry is really all about. In the beginning of the passage that was read for us this morning, Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And that teaching hadn't clicked in the minds of the disciples. They knew that Jesus was a king. That's why they were going to Jerusalem. They were going to enthrone him. I mean, if you look at the next chapter in Mark, the very next scene after the healing of Bartimaeus is the triumphal entry where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, just as all the kings had done in ancient Israel. So they knew that they were serving a king, but they didn't know what kind of king they were serving. They figured when Jesus took his throne, he was going to act like every other king in the ancient Near East. He was going to give his disciples patronage appointments. He was going to give them power. He was going to give them money, authority, and best of all, he was going to give them servants to take care of their every need. And yet, as they watch King Jesus serving a blind beggar, they start to realize this is an upside-down kingdom. This is a kingdom where the king serves a beggar. It's a kingdom where the greatest victory of Jesus comes on the cross during his apparent defeat. This is a kingdom where the power of God is made manifest, not in the power of people, but in the weakness of people. And isn't it interesting that as as we look through the Bible, we see that theme that God's power is displayed in our weakness. We see that theme over and over and over. I think back to some examples from the Old Testament. I think of Abraham and Sarah. Sarah struggled with the terrible pain of infertility. And God works through that weakness. He makes Sarah the mother of all of Israel the mother of all of God's children. I think of Moses, who had a speech impediment so severe that it actually gets cited in the book of Exodus, and yet God works through his weakness and uses him to rebuke the most powerful king in the region, Pharaoh, and to lead God's children out of bondage. I think of David, the youngest of six brothers, the only brother too young to go to war, and yet God uses David to conquer and to vanquish a great man of war, Goliath. And to that list, we can add Bartimaeus, a blind beggar who had the spiritual sight to recognize that Jesus, the son of David, had time for someone like him. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And it seems to me that God takes particular pleasure in putting his treasure in jars that have cracks in them. Because it's through those cracks that we can catch a glimpse of the glory and beauty of God. Grace Toronto, I want to invite us to be a community that doesn't pursue the type of power and prestige that Toronto is interested in. Let's be the kind of community that pursues the power of God as displayed in weakness. And so Bartimaeus, after being healed by Jesus, is told, go on your way, your faith has made you well. But he doesn't leave. 
He falls into the crowd of followers and follows Jesus on that hard road from Jericho to Jerusalem. He follows Jesus on that hard road, which would ultimately terminate at the cross and the empty tomb. The story of Bartimaeus is a beautiful story of inclusion, isn't it? And as I was preparing for the sermon and talking with some of the other um, preachers at the church, my brother Jeff told me that this story really reminds him of another story, something that happened at the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics. And I'd like to close by sharing that story with us this morning. There was a Canadian freestyle skier named Alexandre Bolledeau, and he was an incredible athlete. He had won gold medal in the 2010 Vancouver Olympics, and now he was competing to defend that title. Now, Alexandre did an amazing run down the hill. He was displaying phenomenal athleticism, the kind that we all love to enjoy watching on television. And when he got to the bottom of his run, he knew it had gone well. It was a gold medal run, so he he was able to defend his title. He got to the bottom of the hill, and he looked into the crowds looking for one person in particular. He was looking for his older brother, Fred. Fred is someone who suffers from cerebral palsy. It's a terrible condition that affects um, your motor skills, coordination, speech, and a whole host of other issues. And Fred was there to cheer on his younger brother. I just think it's so amazing that in this one family, we have these two brothers. The one is an Olympic gold medal athlete And the other is a guy with cerebral palsy so advanced that he has trouble standing. Alexandre, after finishing this gold medal run, he, you know, sort of skated over with his skis over to the fence, popped off his skis, grabbed his brother by the shoulders, and pulled him over the fence. And he stood there with his arm around his brother, and then someone put a Canadian flag over the arms of both of them. And he shared that moment of glory with his brother, who never in a million years could have done that kind of skiing. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what Jesus has done with Bartimaeus in this story. And more than that, that is what Jesus has done with every single one of us in the room this morning. You see, Jesus in this text tells us that he will give his life as a ransom for many. That means Jesus has done what none of us in this room could do. Through his death and resurrection, he has freed us from the slave masters of sin, death, and the dominion of darkness. And when he rose from the grave a conqueror, he took that flag of glory and wrapped it around our frail shoulders, each of us in this room. Jesus invites us into that glory, and he also invites us to be a community that goes out into this world and does likewise. I'll close with a short prayer quoting from O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Father, help us to be a community where these words are experienced and realized. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, ye loosened tongues, employ. Ye blind, behold your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. Amen. We now have time for um, a more interactive part of the service. So if you have questions, I'd invite you to text them in at this time. I'll try to address a few of them. And Pastor Dan uh, has the phone, and he'll be 
um, reading the questions for me. Graham, I think your unbelievably brilliant and prophetic sermon has rendered us speechless. I have one comment sent, and it's not a question. It just says, you look sharp today, bro. Thank, that's probably Fred Carpenter. So, <laughs> Fred Carpenter, thank you. So I, I, maybe we can invite you to ask questions of Graham, if you'd like, since there are none here. You know, that, that's okay. If, if you do think of a question later, you can email me, sure. graham at gracetoronto.ca. I'd be happy to interact with it then. Yeah.